I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the Hilo the news and pop culture podcast hosted by me, Pandora Sykes. And me, Dolly Alderton. I like it when we do it like that, so Anton Deck. <laughs> For those of you that have not tuned in before, I won't do the usual, where have you been? What have you been doing? But seriously, where have you been and what have you been doing? Speaking of Dolly, what have you been doing? I have been on my own indoors from Saturday morning to this afternoon when I saw Pandora because I've been ill, which actually I'm quite glad we've brought up because... I might not be on my finest form today. I'm ill, I am tired, and I'm perspiring heavily in the ACAR studio. Perspiring. You still, um, you still managed to buy me a nice book there and tie it up with a ribbon. I did. Did you put on your finest clobber to go down to the Oxfam bookshop? No, I look like Maggie Smith in The Lady in the Van. I literally <laughs> was just in my pyjamas for four days. I had this horrible... Oh, it's boring when people talk about their illnesses, isn't it? But it just it was an illness that migrated to every part of my... Head, chest, nose, it just carried on moving around. Um, but yeah, no, I went, I ventured out into Highgate Village a couple of times to go get sustenance and I picked up a book for Pandy. Cider with Rosie. Which she hasn't read. No, I haven't read. I know I should. It's a nice penguin classic, but it's also just, if you're having a stressful time, it's a gentle, lovely, homey read. I need something to tear me away from suits, so that would be great. Yeah, talk to me about the suits thing, because it sounds like... But this is, it's because I've come to it quite late. It started in 2011, so I've got six years' worth of series. And it's just really ruling my life. Like, last night, Ollie was like, let's watch one more. So, you know, we went to sleep too late for a Monday night on a bank holiday. How late is that? Probably only one, but then I got up at 6.45 oh, and I'm late. an old lady and I feel tired. No, that is too late. Um, you were putting some funny stuff out on uh, the Hilo's Twitter and masquerading it as a joint effort. When, uh, <laughs> Pandora, actually... Pandora described this weekend, which is completely true, that I went rogue on the Hilo's Twitter account. Pictures of like Gwyneth Paltrow in the 90s and, and songs that she wanted to play. Alicia's when she, like... Attic. <laughs> Talk to me about your Alicia's Attic revival. Um, I just... Have you played some on the guitar? That is a very good idea. No, I haven't because um, the illness has muted my singing. I'm sure my neighbours are thankful for. Um, (laughs) I don't know how I rediscovered Alicia's Attic. I think maybe I was thinking about female pairs, about you and I, because I was thinking of a funny picture I could put up to say the new episode is out. Then I thought, I wonder what happened to Alicia's Attic, because I loved their music. And Pandora and I don't really intersect (laughs) with our music taste at all, bearing in mind that Pandora very nearly chose I'm a Barbie girl in a Barbie world as her wedding song. I thought it was funny. And, (laughs) uh, And then I thought, I wonder if this might be... A rare common room of interests of music, me and Pandora. I can't remember Alicia's at it. I am, I feel, I sometimes think that you forget that I am, I feel. 
Decide whether or not you miss Alicia's attic, so or if you are indifferent to... to Alicia and her attic. I was, <laughs> I was listening to a lot of Alicia's attic and posting it on the Hilo's uh, Twitter account. Also, I think the Hilo's Twitter account is suffering somewhat because my social media accounts are currently closed. While <laughs> closed for business, clo- they're closed for business. They're having a siesta while I'm finishing my book, so it means that's why I'm being so much more vocal on the Hilo's account. But you're still checking yourself out. Like off the high Yes, thank you for bringing everyone's <laughs> attention to it. I was still searching my name on Twitter so, five but, times a day. But it doesn't count as checking her Twitter because she's doing it like through circuitous routes. <laughs> and the only one that cares about this is Dolly. So as long as she's fooling herself. <laughs> um, while you were ill, I was being sort of equally old ladyish in Dorset, where thankfully no one peed on me. It was nice to go to a oh, hotel. Oh, thank God. I, know, I loved so your nice. tweet, by the way, where you were like, I think I'm forever going to be known as the journalist who is pissed on in a Soho house outlet. Did you discover that whilst on the Hilo's Twitter? Yes. <laughs> and someone replied being like, better than being the journalist that was sick at Soho House. And I wanted to reply and be like, no, it's really not. I would much rather be sick of my own volition than be urinated than be on whilst on. snoozing. For sure. People were horrified by the piss. I know, but um, the hotel maybe could have been more horrifying. <laughs> What were you doing on your granny weekend? Um, Ollie took me for a surprise for our first wedding anniversary, but um, he didn't realise how far Dorset was. And he was like, we're going to the coast of Dorset. And I was like, hurrah, fuck me. That's such a long way. It is quite, um, did, you, yeah. did you drive there? Yeah, it was over four hours. And then we were there for 23 hours and then, you know, 1,400 hours back again. Um, but we stayed in a lovely hotel called The Bull, which is a pub. Loads of people seem to know it, actually, weirdly, because it's very small. It's in Bridport in Dorset. And it's on the high street. Um, but it's really pretty. And then joyfully, because my new favourite hobby is antiquing, it turns out to be a real antiquing hotspot. I'm so I... jealous of your purchase. My purchase? Purchase. <laughs> so I'm so tired, I can bear, I'm like slurring my words. <laughs> so, your purchase. I'm, I'm so jealous of your purchase. Of like, your purchase. You know, it's like when someone talks. And That's how um, I'm talking today, I think. I'm quite jealous of my purchase as well. <laughs> 40 quid for three. I mean, who knew that a cup so could come stylish. with double sauces? Tell, I, tell the listeners about it. Tell the listeners. Um, so I bought, I went into antique haunt number one. There were like hundreds of these antique haunts. And poor Ollie, he's so tolerant about my newfound foraging. I literally, that is what I do. I forage. Like a pig looking yeah. for truffles. I, I forage and I truffle hunt. That is what I do all day long. Do you do it with your nose? I follow my nose. Uh, no, I don't. But I, so I went in and I saw these six cups and I saw, oh my God. 40 quid and I was like is it 40 quid for all six anyways I got these cups home and I arranged them I spent some time playing with them and then I had a cup of coffee in one the next day and Ollie was like what are you doing I was like what do you mean he was like they're not for use and I was like of course they're for use no fancy towels yeah he literally thought we'd bought them um display teacups yeah he thought they were display teacups I I had that when I worked when I was um in my when I first moved into a shared flat in Camden I came home to the you just said horror. A shed flat. A shed, it was a shed flat. I came home to the horror of my two flatmates at the time. I said, "This is a decorative tea towel, and it must not be used." You did not French linen. <laughs> um, can I tell you how much I'm missing Instagram? That when I when I heard that you were in Dorset, do you know what I thought? I thought, oh, if I was in Dorset and I was posting a picture, I would caption it "The Great Outdorset." <laughs> And I felt very sad I do think that I'd been denied times. Sometimes I think of the caption before the picture. 
Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I'll go somewhere just a life for the captions. captions. I really, I really want to write a piece about how um, modern culture is sort of digested through captions. Now, if content is king, then caption is Christ. queen. Content is king. Oh yeah, there's all sorts of bullshit like that. Who's recently <laughs> said that to you in a meeting, Pandora? I don't know, but um, speaking of not knowing where people are, where's our listener gone from Botswana? Oh, this is very sad. <laughs> we are very upset about Did you this. Like that neat segue. Very good. <laughs> Pandora was genuinely feels bereft now. Our lovely producer Charlie, who's sitting perhaps a little too close to comfort for us today in the Acos studios, um, told us. That makes poor Charlie sound like a perv when actually the studio is <laughs> really small. She's very petite, but we're very thankful to have it. Um, <laughs> don't kick a gift horse. Just while Dolly recovers, we've lost the listener in Botswana, but we've got one. Charlie in Madagascar. let us know that he's gone. He's dropped off, and we gave him a shout. <laughs> No, what else really valued him. Um, we also got a lovely email this week, didn't we, Dolly? You were thrilled about We got this. a few lovely it. emails. This was my favourite one. Hi, Dolly. Hope you're very well and looking forward to the weekend. Wanted to email you for two reasons. Firstly, because I wonder if I can augment your list of far-flung listeners. I live and work at the British military base in the Falkland Islands and will be here for the rest of this year. Have you got any other fans from the sub-Antarctic Islands? Ha ha. <laughs> Did you need to read the whole? <laughs> Secondly, and more importantly, to tell you how much I enjoy listening to the Hilo. Every week, I drag myself off camp for long runs through the Falklands, bleak and desolate landscapes while I listen to the Hilo show. Given that life here often looks and feels like I'm on another planet, it's so nice to have a reminder of home and listen to some conversation that is thought-provoking, interesting, and not so resolutely macho. Cheers, Matt. Two thoughts. Number one, I bet that you're desperate to go to the Falklands now. I'm not actually. Are you not bleak and desolate landscapes? I thought you'd be, it could be your new Orkney. Um, no, I am desperate to find out if Matt is single. And also... Is that why Matt... Matt, why did you write just to Dolly? I don't know if you're aware that this is co-hosted. And also, Matt, there is a 44 in your email address, I noticed. Now, are you 44? Because we if that's the case, then I can make allowances. Were you born in 1944? In which case, there'll be a bit of negotiation. Or are you just not interested in me? Sexually at all. And you're just sending a nice email. And I'm being very arrogant and presumptuous. Matt, please, can you follow this up? I want to know what happens next. I want to witness this love story, considering all I do is go antiquing and truffle hunting for cups. <laughs> when did you um, get so boring? I love it, though. Uh, here's another one. Hi, The Hilo Show. Sorry for the rushed email. I'm listening to the latest podcast, Love, and just want to point out that the big Tesco superstores always have big boxes at the front of the store where you can donate food or hygiene products and they go straight to local food banks. I teach at a secondary school on the Old Kent Road and I know a lot of the local families use the food banks regularly. It's a great place to start. That is awesomely helpful. Because Thank you so much for sending that. Yeah, annoyingly, none of my Tescos have that. I'm going to have to go further afield to a superstore. Another lovely email we got. I was in tears listening to you comment on girls too poor to buy sanitary products. How can we not let girls achieve their best because they are too frigging poor to buy essential products? Don't even get me started on where the blasted tax is being spent. Well, George Osborne gave it to an anti-abortion charity. I've been really lucky in life. I was born in a very poor neighbourhood in Glasgow, but I have brilliant parents who never let me go without. Today I own a really successful communications agency in Staffordshire. Well done. That's awesome. Straight after your podcast, I spent £500 on products, boxed them and delivered them to schools and a women's refuge in Wolverhampton. The letters I've received back made me cry even more. Best wishes, Hazel. That's fucking great, Hazel. Well done, You've made you, Hazel. our week and actually um, put us all to shame because you're absolutely right. That's what we should be going home and doing is 
boxing up products, whether it's £5 or £50 worth, and delivering them. So thank you for your amazing email. Our final lovely email that we're going to... We're answering your questions at the end of the podcast as usual, but we just had some nice ones that we wanted to discuss at the top. Our final one is from a girl who says... When my friend and I both lived in New York, we talked honestly and often about the fact that sometimes we could both be shitty friends, not necessarily to each other, but in general, and how life just gets in the way. Now an ocean apart, the high-low has brought us together. In fact, listening to you and knowing that my friend is listening to you makes me feel like the two of us are catching up, a bit like how you can feel connected to someone simply by sitting next to them in a theatre and watching the same movie. And the best part is it prompts us to catch up after to engage in our own personal podcast postscriptum. Emily, I know you're listening. I love you and I look forward to catching up soon. And Dolly and Pandora, hello. And thank you for bringing us all just a little bit closer. Alex. Yeah, that's really lovely. I like welled up when I read that email. I think it's so lovely because it is very hard. And it resonated with me as well and you because we both have best friends who live over in New York. And it is tough, especially with the time differences as well and when you're both in work. But I'm glad that you're investing in that friendship. Yes, me too. What books have you been reading this week, Doll? Um, I've just started a book called Future Sex by Emily Witt. I've heard about that. When did that come out? A few months ago. I actually heard about it through my friend's podcast that I love, and I'm amazed I actually keep forgetting to plug on this podcast, called Literary Friction. I haven't heard of that. It's so brilliant. My very dear friend Octavia Bright and her lovely friend Carrie. Um, And it's a really intelligent, interesting, but also accessible book discussion show basically so every week they kind of take a vague theme and they talk about how it's explored in literature both modern and past and they interview an author for whom that theme is relevant so they get really really good people on and the interviews are so clever and really go deep so they've had Sarah Pascoe on Emma Jane Unsworth and they had Emily Witt on, who was talking about future sex. So it's about, I'm only, I've only just started it, but I already really, really love it. It's about one woman's, she's, it gets to 30, and it's about her exploration of her sexuality and questioning what she wants from love and sex and relationships and kind of questioning the, the constructs that we have for relationships, particularly monogamy, and challenges it and looks at what the future of sex might be. And it's something that I find very, very interesting. And it's lovely that it has that personal kind of journey throughout as well. So I'll, I'll lend it to you when I'm yes, done. Yes, please do. Um, what have you been reading? So I just finished Kat Marnell's book. So Kat Marnell is an ex-beauty editor in the States. She was at Lucky Magazine and a website called Exojane. And then she was at Vice, did a column, I think, called Amphetamine Logic. Um, and it is a really staggering, stark look at America's opioid epidemic. The tendency to hand out prescription drugs like they are sweets is... Mm just completely overwhelming um it's really sad and it's it's just really baffling and it's not it's not a story that I know well and I don't just mean her story I mean like I don't know friends I don't have you know it's it feels very American at times that attitude you know the kind of you take an Adderall and then you take a Xanax and and that abuse I I'm not so widely aware of in terms of drug abuse in the UK. I feel no, like different no. drugs tend to be abused more. But obviously the terrifying thing about this is she's like a full-time doctor shopper. 
she goes shopping around various doctors on the Upper East Side all the time. And the most awful thing is that her addiction as a teenager was started because her parents prescribed them. And her parents prescribed her more and more and more. And there's this quite awkward caveat at the end of the book where she's like, by the way, don't blame my parents. They're completely amazing. And they had no idea that like Ritalin and stuff could be so bad for you. And it's like... There's no way that your parents are not culpable in this. They prescribed bottles and bottles and bottles of this and you were clearly so unwell because mm. she also battled eating disorders. She didn't have any friends. She says time, time again, she has no friends. But anyway, you, it was, it's, how it's was, a brilliant read. Was it? I was yeah, say, she writes it, it in this... Is it very stark and very honest or does she kind no, of glamorise oh, it? Oh, no, you'll, you'll be kind of... It's... <sighs> She writes it in this deliberately light-hearted, pithy way. There's exclamation marks everywhere, and she'll literally but say... But is that sort of brevity suitable, do you think, for the subject matter? Um, it does actually work. It does. It does. I do. I want to give her a hug, but it does actually work. Mm. And she'll say quite funny stuff, like, this is a story of rich white girl privilege, and if that annoys you, then please put my memoir down and, like, go and read someone else's. It's much better. Well, I like her She says it a lot. She's... But also, there's a lot of, like, self-loathing. So when she says, like, Mm. white privilege, she's not kind of poking fun at herself. She's, like, tearing herself down. Anyway, it's really interesting. I've been tweeting a few people about it, and I actually want to have more discussions. In fact, can they discuss it for me on Literary Friction, and then I can listen? Yes! (laughs) I would love that. That's a plea, Octavia, Yeah, that's a plea, Octavia. I know you don't know me. You don't owe me anything, but please... (laughs) On to your favourite subject, Pandora. I've never seen you so animated about anything. Oh, the Met Ball. The Met Ball. <laughs> you were talking to me about it, and I was like, this should have been your thesis. I love that. It's like, fashion journalist gets really excited about the Met Ball, yay! No, I love the Met Ball because it's so far removed from normality, and I just, like, guzzle up all the little nuggets. Um, it's just really Gossip Girl. It's really American. Uh, I'm obsessed with all the, like, random bits of gossip that emerge, like, the the fag break bathroom selfies like there are all these pictures of celebrities like smoking in the bathroom Bella Hadid Dakota Johnson I just don't understand why they didn't just go out to the like little small peg you know peg pen pig pen of smoking <laughs> pegging why didn't they go pegging <laughs> at the Met Ball and I also read this really long article on page six which is the New York Post's website that Dolly loves because it reminds her of Sex in the City everything was on page six and, in Sex um, in the City there's just so many amazing like snarky snippy snippety anything beginning with like an S and an N um, facts about how Anna Wintour has to pre-approve all of the Met Ball tickets even though they are between thirty and $50,000. Only 610 people went though, which is interesting because it does seem like the world and its celebrity wife went. Um, and it also talks a lot about who Anna has snubbed. So the model Coco Rocha, when asked why she wasn't going this year, apparently replied, ask Anna. Um, and I also love that the word snubbed is used a lot in Met Ball press and it's so at odds with the grander. It sounds like a little piglet and and another one that I love, which is also used a lot in Met Ball um, pieces, is hobnobbing, which is... But also, all these, all this language, like snubbed and hobnobbing, can you imagine if I ever just tried to, like, drop that into conversation with you? It only exists in the world of these magazines. If I was like, yeah, I had a great evening hobnobbing. It, there's so many words like that. You know, Maven is another one. So Maven, like, Sven Garley. If I was like, have you met my friend Dolly Alderton, the fashion maven? Also, I love when they say... The academic wonder kind. When they say... <laughs> (laughs) Um, someone took to Twitter (laughs) with a cape always wearing a cape Um, but this year's Met Ball theme was Comme de Garçon uh, an iconic fashion label probably helmed by the most respected fashion designer in the world can I just Um, say can I ask something yeah would we call that a theme 
I was quite surprised by this. I haven't looked into, surprisingly, I haven't looked into the Met Ball history. I don't know if having a designer as the thing. Can you imagine if you were the Met Ball theme? The, the Met Ball the theme, theme in the past has all been like punk or, well, I expect the call any day. Um, <laughs> but has, it's normally been more a style. It's quite strange, I think, for it to be a designer, the theme. Well, Ray Calcubo is a really respected designer, probably the most respected fashion designer in the industry. So I don't know if it's because it's because it's her. I mean, I don't think they'd ever do like a Met Ball theme of Primark or something. As ever, some of the Met Ball outfits work well and some of them look completely bonkers, but I really hate that who wore it best thing because I think it's a super unproductive way to pit women or rather their stylists against each other. But I will say, and I know I'm old, that young celebrities wear less and less clothing now. Like Kendall's skirt at the after party is like a sheath. <laughs> it is just a small gold square. And during the event itself, she wore a, a dress with actually... a a vagina-shaped slit across her chest, not her actual vagina. Um, and then at the after-party, Bella Hadid wore a dress that was entirely see-through, just with tape over her tits. So naked dressing is, like, fully a thing. Look, but you've had one trip to Dorset Don't antiquing, make me do it. Don't and now make me you're clutching dress. your pearls. <laughs> you love that expression. You haven't said that one for ages. Um, no, it was a bit obscene, those dresses, I think. Can you talk to me about why Nicki Minaj was wearing H&M? Did you think that she'd just gone into H&M and got that off the peg? You said to me, Nicki Minaj wore H&M. And of course I thought that. I was like, I didn't think H&M Couture existed. Did you think I haven't seen that in my local branch? <laughs> but so talk, how do they do it? You said so basically, this is quite a common I mean, thing. Yeah, big brand sponsor. I really want to see Dolly being like, sorry, have you got that dress that Nicki Minaj wore last week at that party in New York? I do think it's quite strange though. Well, I can't big, get my head around it. Big brand sponsor celebrities uh, in all sorts of capacities with the Met Ball. So they make bespoke outfits so no Nicky's is not off the peg um, they buy them a ticket and they host them on a table and sometimes they pay them to go as well and a lot of brands do it Topshop do it Stella McCartney do it Calvin Klein Michael Kors it's an amazing sort of billboard to have these you know it's covered internationally by the press um, beautiful women wearing clothes that you've created you know shows the capacities of your brand like H&M in a different light not great for Nicki Minaj though is it um, Brent Cross Shopping Centre Oh, someone doesn't like H&M. Well, I actually read this really interesting article on the fashion law. It's a website I love that looks at the legal aspects of the fashion industry. And it was about whether or not celebrities should disclose when they're sponsored. And it feeds into the whole um, FTC guideline thing about sponsorship, um, which I feel pretty passionate about. So it's whether or not people put hashtag spawn or sponsored or ad when they're paid to create um, digital content. I'm very big on doing that uh, a lot of people most of my instagram feed um seem to skirt around it for want of a better word but h&m took sierra lucky blue supermodel amber valletta the singer jennifer hudson they all wore h&m but there were no disclosures made at the met Ball full stop so i think that's quite um an interesting one as well about whether or not they should admit that it is mm. a massive commercial opportunity and denote it via hashtags appropriately i think they probably should do you? Um, I just want to see you in H&M buying Nicki Minaj's dress, quite frankly. <laughs> um, do you want to go to the Met Ball? Yeah, I'd love to go to the Met Ball. I think it'd be riveting. I particularly want to go when they dedicate it to Dolly Alderton. I think we probably asked for too many favours on this week's podcast. So oh, probably... shit, so we won't get the Met Ball. We won't get the Met Ball tickets okay. this time. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Nicki Minaj to her natural partnership, Simon Danzuk. <laughs> Again, very nice natural segue there. Simon Danzuk, the independent MP who hoped to be a Labour candidate on the 8th of June, has been suspended um, for exchanging explicit messages with a 17-year-old girl. And for reference, Simon Danzuk is 50. Dolly, what do you think about this? Well, something interesting that I found when I was reading about this is that the girl, 17 years old, obviously is over the age of consent, but because the accused was in a position of trust, according to the Sexual Offences Act of 2003, the age of consent in those situations is actually 18. So she was applying, she was a female job applicant. So that's, yeah, yeah that's the kind of, that's the parameter within which he was in a position of trust because he was like a potential boss. But I have no idea about that I 18. That's very interesting. I think that's good. Well. I think it's good. That yeah, makes sense. It, it, definitely. The question is, how much bad behaviour should we allow from our... MPs, how human should we allow them to be? Um, on one hand, I think we should allow a margin of error, a margin of bad behaviour. You know, we're all humans. We all make mistakes. Sins of the flesh are very common, as we all know. <laughs> um, I actually got slightly my wrist slap for this when I was doing my journalism MA because we were asked to write... Do you know Roy Greenslade, the um, Guardian journalist? He was one of our lecturers and his speciality is on media law and we were writing an essay for him on the max mosley case you know mm. with the nazi yeah yeah, yeah. prostitute stuff and the question was the question we're discussing today which is like can you separate the man and his job from his personal life and i said in the essay everyone has private sexual behaviors that they maybe wouldn't share with people that might be unusual. <laughs> and he put in red pen, this is wildly subjective next to it. But hold on, this is quite interesting because we had this discussion about Tim Farron. Mm. And I probably waited more on the side of saying that, yes, I think you can separate the religion from the man. And you said, well, no, I don't think you can. But you think... But that's, I think it's different with Max Mosley because Max Mosley no, isn't representing people. Oh, no, but the problem with the Simon Danzik case is... Not the first sorry, time he's done it. It's, no, it's all tied up with some, with some not... He hasn't got a great history of how he is with women. Um, his first wife accused him of emotional and sexual abuse fueled by alcohol and cannabis. If you go back and read up on him, this doesn't feel like it's a one-off incident and you know, a case of being human. It feels like, if I'm being honest, it feels like he kind of fucking hates women. And, you know, that kind of misogyny is much more prevalent, I think, than we think it is. And if you're a man who's routinely cheating and lying and betraying women and abusing your position of trust, I'm sorry, I think that means that you don't really take women seriously and you don't respect them and you kind of hate them. So I, I, don't, I wouldn't, don't understand how... I wouldn't want someone representing me. I was a 50-year-old, you can text a 17-year-old and think it's above board. Like it's I mean, it's so, so stupid. But it's, it's exactly like the Anthony Weiner thing. Where it's like obsessed with Anthony Weiner, if only because the case was all about his Weiner. Yeah, he says that on his interview with Alec. You Baldwin. know how there's like onomatopoeia. This is nominative determinism. Is it? Yeah, very nice. He says on his interview with Alec Baldwin for here's the thing. 
he's like, the problem is I'm always going to be a guy called Wiener with a sex scandal. <laughs> oh my God, amazing. I must But this is that. the issue with him. It's like the confidence, this like almost psychotic, bold as brass confidence that he could send these explicit messages to women that he didn't know. Think he'd get away with it, then rebuild his profile as a as a political figure, and then do it again. I don't know what goes through their heads. I think um I can't think of anything worse than being an MP, which I'm sure isn't very altruistic of me. But I think far from making people behave better than they should, it brings out these. So a couple of my friends used to work for MPs in Parliament, and they literally said it was like working at the wildest boarding school you'd ever imagine. You know the affairs and the Mm, behaviour and the gossip was like nothing you've ever seen. It is a privilege being an MP, I understand that, and that they get paid well, but quite frankly, I don't think they do get paid particularly handsomely for the hours that they're doing. You know, if they were in any other industry at the top of their game, they would be earning, what do they earn between? They earn £74,000 a year. I think that's a good salary. I don't necessarily for how how much work they put in. It takes over their life and these people are they often a lot of people working highly them, skilled in their industries highly skilled what i'm saying is i don't think that being an mp is necessarily such a great and enjoyable job that lends itself to them behaving well i think it seems to turn a lot of people into hideous incarnations of themselves See, I... and men like simon danzik clearly should not be in positions of power but more than anything else i feel quite sorry for the man like is he happy do you self-destruct like that when you're happy? I feel more sorry for the 17-year-old that he's even... You know. No, no, I completely... I do feel sorry for him and he obviously has problems that he needs to address, but I must say I do, I do disagree with you about how bad behaviour is born from the pressures of being an MP. You know, it is a great position of privilege. Yes, there's responsibility, but I think they're paid very well. I think that they get to represent their people and I think that they get to potentially change legislation and they get a huge amount of glory and power. I think that is what makes the bad behaviour. And actually, something I always really respected about John Prescott is that when he had... um, (laughs) didn't think it was going to go there, that sentence. um, Is that when he had... um, And I'm obsessed with John Prescott. When he had an affair on his lovely wife, Pauline... um, On her... Sorry, yeah, he, he cheated on, on when her. he cheated on Paul. God, that's horrible. <laughs> Carry on. When he cheated on Pauline, he was the first to say, I'm not going to be one of those power mad MPs who throws the blame of my bad behaviour onto the pressures of Westminster. He was like, that is bollocks. I did a bad thing because at the time I was being a bad person. And that's what it boils down to. I don't think that you can blame the pressures of your work for it. I don't. Dolly for Orkney. <laughs> Dolly for Orkney. Oh, I, do you know what? I was actually looking into... Um, Running? The MP for... No, I was looking at who represents uh, Orkney. Oh. Orkney and Shetland. Anyway, so from uh, John Prescott to Zane Malik. Dolly for Orkney. <laughs> You're so... <laughs> we are really nailing the segues today. So Zayn Malik has come under fire on social media after urging fans to contribute to a campaign to help raise £120,000 for his mother's best friend who has cancer. He has almost 22 million followers on um, social media and he was trying to help the fundraising efforts of his mother's friend Aisha Butt who has terminal lung cancer and she's seeking life-extending treatment in Istanbul. So it's a really sad story. 
Anyway, Zane is worth an estimated £30 million himself. So he was really uh, criticised for not putting up the money himself and instead sharing the links to the GoFundMe page. There were a lot of comments about him being filthy rich and why don't you just put the money up? What do you think of this, Dolly? Um, It's difficult because my initial emotional reaction is yes you definitely should pay for all that treatment this is a drop in the ocean for you it's your mother's best friend so presumably this is a woman you have a relationship with and have known for a very long time but then we also don't know anything about his charitable givings and how much he spends and I think if he's like a classy and dignified individual maybe he is giving a huge portion away of his money for people in need like this in the same Daily Mail article they reported that he bought his mother a house last year I think all the One Direction boys I know it's sweet isn't isn't it Um, age five but I don't know you know you don't know how much I remember listening to Chris Rock was interviewed again on Alec Baldwin's podcast and he said I think he came from quite humble beginnings and he said that when he made loads and loads of money he just had so many people coming to him saying, can you do oh, this? Sure. Can you help with my, you know, kids' college fund? Can you help build a roof for my house? Can you?" And he said it just got to a point where he was giving so much money away that sadly he just, he had to stop cap it. He had to cap it and he had to think about what he was spending it on and because he, you can't save everyone. You can't help everyone. And I wonder if maybe, to play devil's advocate, maybe that's what's happened in this case. I don't know. I, I totally see what you're saying and I can see how um, it would just spiral. But I think if you're not going to foot the bill, it looks... Mm. I, don't, I, don't think it, I don't think it's a great idea to crowdsource. Mm. I think to not give the money, or perhaps he has given some of the money, That's but then, I think but then explain happened. it, say. Yeah. I know it's a bit like, well, why should I have to explain? Well, I'm sorry you do. You do. Because even Dolly and I have to explain our decisions and we have like... A, 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 hair, a hair's worth <laughs> of the kind of following that, that Zayn Malik has. Um, and we don't know about his charitable givings, but I imagine that the comments would be pretty incensed, like, go ask your girlfriend's dad, because um, Gigi Hadid's father, I think he's called Mohammed Hadid, he's a property developer, so he's got lots of money. So between them, yeah, yeah it's, it's the it's, old, as you said, it's the old drop in the ocean thing. So I understand about things spiralling. But to be fair to him, they have now nearly met the amount of money so he has actually he has so he's really proved helped. effective yeah yes but i think you could i think that you could sort of argue that you could slightly be taking advantage of those rabid one direction fans you know the fan base they have is like nothing you've ever yes, seen yes i wonder These how much they actually would care sell, no more just that they would do anything for the boys that they mm, love mm. and i don't know if it's slightly taking advantage for your Probably a lot of fans who don't have any money mm. to put that up yeah. if he's not. That's so I point. hope he is. I hope he's matching it because if he's not, I don't think it's appropriate to be using it for that. No, I don't. Should we go on to some emails before Let's we go finish? Let's go on to some emails. Do you want to read out the first one? I am 18 and work in an independent yet large gift shop and tea room. Recently, we have been told we have to wear skirts as our uniform. (gasps) Previously, I have been told to wear smart black top and black skirt or trousers. Now they're insisting we wear skirts. To many, this will not be an issue. To me, it is. I hear you. I'm uncomfortable about my body and I'm very uncomfortable about wearing a form-fitted skirt. A skirt is completely impractical in the job we do. It is hot in the shop and we run up and down the stairs a lot when we're busy. 
Also, I'm infuriated that if they employed a male, would they be enforcing the skirt rule on him too? I think not. It may sound pathetic, but it's really bothered me. Am I overreacting, or is this wrong of them? Just show them the select committee, the like the working people or women's committee petition that ruled against PwC firing that secretary for not wearing heels. It is absolutely categorically illegal, I believe, to instruct that women wear quote unquote, you know, feminist dress. So I was looking. I emailed this girl back. Is it, is it not illegal? I emailed this girl back to try and get more details on it, and she hasn't responded. If you're listening, I it, I it would be great if you could reply to my email because I'd really like to look into this properly for you about the the steps you can take. I predict that what they will say is it's not a gendered issue, it's a formality issue. Absolute bullshit. A pair of smart black trousers is as smart, if not smarter, than a black pencil skirt. What I would say, the problem is as well, the the problem is as well is is that it's an independent business rather than part of a larger chain, which makes it more difficult. Do you know what? If she, if this went viral, well, that's what I'm going to, they they would be under a lot of fire. Well, this is what I would encourage. I would say, first of all, I would, I would, Put it to your boss that this is something that you're uncomfortable with, that you don't think it's necessary. You can assure her that you will always be smart and adhere to the formality code, but say that you find it... Yeah, it's gender and you find it inappropriate. And then if they come back to you and say, no, sorry, you still can't, then this is the power of social media. I would take to social media and I would try and... You just said that no one says... In well, real life, they took to Twitter. Oh my god! I just did it. That's because I'm Happy like, day. I'm so, I'm so enraged. I've like, do you actually? You do take, take do ta- to Twitter. Have you been hobnobbing on Twitter with other enraged people? Um, we I would really take want, to Twitter. We want to hear more about this. I will be your Erin Brockovich <laughs> for the tea room. Um, here's another email. I enjoy the podcast and your respective work, but I take issue with the last episode. While discussing feminism and the choice to get married, Pandora said I have not changed my name, to which Dolly replied, good for you. I'm going to abridge this just for um, the sake of time. But here is most of what she says. If I'm not being overly sensitive, this could simply be taken as Dolly supporting Pandora in a choice not to change her name. However, it could also be construed as a belief that choosing not to change your name is good in the context of feminism and choosing not to change your name is bad. I've been extremely privileged not to be an overt victim of a patriarchal society like I know many women have. I didn't take my husband's name because it was the lesser of two evils or because he or anyone else expected me to. I took it because I wanted to. Does that make this an unfeminist choice? I'm happy with my choice, but I think your conversation raises an interesting point in the current dangerous idea that there are right and wrong ways to be a feminist. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Should I be considered a worse feminist because I wanted to share a name with the man I love? I'm glad you brought this up because this is something I'd like to, I wanted to talk about for a while and it's something it's a question that I met with a lot with friends as well no one is saying that you are a bad feminist I completely think that there is nothing wrong with taking your husband's name what I will say is we are currently in a construct which means that taking your husband's name is encouraged and the norm the reason that I say good on you girl or whatever I said to Pandora and she told me she wasn't taking her husband's name is that right now where we are that is a bolder and more discriminated against choice until we're at a point where it's a default that you can do either or I'm sorry I will encourage the women who are told that they can't and it's exactly the same reason why if there's a beautiful woman 
who is on the front of a magazine who's a size 16, I will be shouting about it more than a woman who's a size 8. I'm not saying one is better than the other, and I'm not saying that one is a more feminist choice than the other. What I'm saying is, until we close those gaps of inequality, those more unusual choices... Will be the ones you celebrate. Will be the ones that I shout about. I think maybe, yeah, I think what you're saying, um, and I think it's good that you clarified that, is that it's about celebrating choices that have or decisions that have perhaps been more subjugated ones that have come with more judgment and discrimination yes exactly until those unusual choices are no longer unusual and are usual i will carry on shouting about them and it, it is not me casting any aspersions on those other choices that women make it's just that you guys are kind of fine like you've got people supporting you and telling you that that's okay so the majority of society yeah exactly also, it's just because you're really obsessed with me, Dolly, and you like everything I do. Do you want to read the next one? There is that as well. The last email is a sad one, and it is, in fact, from someone who has signed off as Sad Sorry Girl. Recently, I made a mistake at work. It wasn't huge. I didn't hurt anyone, but it could have been possibly catastrophic if it turned out differently. My mistake was realised when I left one office and transferred to another one on a temporary basis. I parted that office on a complete high, was given a glowing personal performance review, was bursting with pride. When I got the call from my previous manager pointing out that they had discovered my error and started being questioned about the events that led to the decisions I made, I felt sick with embarrassment, guilt and disappointment. My manager was kind to me but had a job to do into investigating the why and the how I had screwed up. I apologised profusely but I've really struggled to move past it. It's been three weeks, I'm still chewing over it I feel completely undeserving of all the praise that was lavished on me I want to give back my award I can't even look at my performance review I'm gutted that the senior management from my previous office are probably looking at me in a different light I think they think I'm not the trusted employee they thought I was and that they'll treat me differently when I go back oh I hate that you feel so um, alone in your error Mm. because we all bloody make them I make them all the time we all make huge mistakes in fact I'm going to sh- let's share a mistake that we've made before because I think it will make sad and sorry feel better. Okay. By the way, I love your sign off. It's like sleepless in Seattle. It's very cute. <laughs> um, I was working once as. That makes it sound like you no longer work. An intern <laughs> at Take a Break magazine. Shut up, were you? My mum would be so excited. She loves all those. Where I routinely angered the editor because I just kept fucking up. <laughs> and I actually left early. Um, which was a huge embarrassment to the coordinator of my master's course because in all her years <laughs> that she's been sending students, no one was ever asked to leave early. What did you do wrong? Oh, everything. I just kept everything I kept fucking Made tea up. wrong? Arrived oh, late? There was, one, inc- the there was one incident that was terrible where I was in charge of writing these reviews of kind of supermarket microwave <laughs> meals <laughs> under the pseudonym of a family called the Grumpies or something. <laughs> and... I called in all this disgusting Thai microwave food. Delicious. Um, and I had to like microwave it and try it all. And so much of it came and I just stuffed it in the fridge and then left for the weekend. And then I came in on the Monday and they were like the editor who I will not name at the time, who was a man. They said he would like to see you. And I went into his office and he said, um, you have... I'd left the fridge open and he said you have he said (laughs) you have cost me money because I now couldn't call in another batch 
So he was like, how are you going to fix it? And also there was like loads of employees' food was in there that had all gone off. And they also had to get a professional clean in because it stank out the entire office so much. Anyway, point is, this is just one of many things that I have done. Probably not your most serious mistake. No, there are obviously more serious (laughs) But mortifying, perhaps, that you didn't know how to Mortifying, (laughs) and these are one of many mistakes that I've made before at work, as I'm sure Pandora has as well. And the the best thing that you can do is learn from it. Um, have humility and self-awareness, which you do in bags, my darling, just from reading the email and apologise and then just get on with the job and doing it well. And it sounds really awful because I've been in this position before, but the more that you draw someone's focus back to the error you've made, the more that they will also dwell in that headspace. And the best thing you can do is it sounds like they um, really like you and support you and they've called you out on your mistake, but they want, you know, they want you now to enjoy the rest of your placement before you come back is to just, you know, go in with a big smile on your face, even if you're sobbing inside yeah. and show them that you're great and that Be it was one error. And as Dolly says, we've all done that. Yeah, I, what's your one? I was fired from my first ever internship oh, of yeah. a magazine I will not name. I was told by the another journalist, let's be opaque about this, that um, so I'd been there for five months. So I'd been there for a little while. I was writing um, quite big features for them, wrote a cover feature for them on my uh, second day. And, God, that's um, huge for an intern. Yeah, I thought I was doing quite a good job. I mean, they probably found me infuriating in the way that people are in their early 20s. But, you know, I wasn't totally crap. I stayed late, worked hard, all that stuff. And I was told I could get a press discount on something. So I asked a brand if I could get a press discount on something. And I was fired for taking gross advantage of the magazine. Um, and it crucified me so much and I really mean it crucified me I think I've only just stopped having nightmares seven years later that every single other job I went to I would say and you do know that I actually got fired from XYZ because I asked for a press discount everyone without fail found it hilarious what had been mortifying to me possibly career defining was um, some hilarious story that I had as part of my foray into journalism Uh, so you know your error will one day be something that titillates someone. And I don't mean that in a patronising way. I mean that it might have mortified you. I'm sure that it didn't ruin anyone else's day. No, and it's part of being young and learning the ropes. And, yeah, you'll learn from this. So, Any more clichés for her before we go? Yeah, ropes, (laughs) what else? Every day is another day. Every cloud has a silver lining. Every cloud has a silver lining. Open a new door, there's a new day. (laughs) On that note, thanks very much for listening to The High Low. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, at The High Low Show. You can also email us, thehighlowshow at gmail.com. Please do subscribe to us on iTunes. We're growing every week like a pretty flower. And we would love, love, love your reviews, good or bad. Um, And come back next week. There'll be another episode. You know the drill. And thanks, Lauren Benstead, for our funky, funky tune. And thank you, Acast, as well, for our hot little studio. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.